A journalist is only as good as her sources. So what does that mean for a reporter whose newsbeat covers an opaque market in a completely different country? I'm Miriam Sears and we're taking you into the newsroom. Now I've got Aura here with me today, Aura Sabidus, who has had lots of uh, experience, I guess you could say, in, in this particular challenge, which is writing about markets that are not as developed as other markets, and they're also far away. So welcome, Aura, today to... Thank you. Thanks, podcast. Miriam. Um, uh, and yeah, so, so today uh, in our Into the Newsroom episode, I just want to basically chat to Aura and uh, we can find out all about what it's been like um, writing uh, specifically about Turkish and Ukrainian markets. But uh, why don't I let you tell your story? Can you maybe start us off by explaining your story, I guess, with these mm. these opaque markets? <clears throat> sure. Um, you're absolutely right. I, I have experience in this market and this is not to show off is just a, a fact. I've, I've been covering these markets in, the, in particular Turkey for 10 years now. Um, <clears throat> and at the beginning, it was um, it was very difficult to penetrate the market because um, Turkey is not the sort of market where you would find information readily available. So uh, press officers would um, rush to send you uh, press releases and um, help you to um, organize um, interviews with various people um, as we would do here for example and um, it was in that sense it was very difficult because if you're a journalist who's simply used to um, going to certain websites and downloading press releases then um, if you cover Turkey and in particular uh, that 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 region then you're stuck mm. um, so um, it it meant that I had to um, start talking to people and build um, a, a solid network of contacts. At first, I tried to do so by phone, but then I realized that it's not uh, the sort of culture that would work. That simply by talking to uh, on the phone to someone, you'd build a, a contact. Mm. Um, you would have to go there. And that meant that over the years I had to go to Turkey uh, very frequently. Um, I've, I've lost count now, but I think I've been to Turkey 55 times or probably more. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very pleased about that. It, about that. It's, it's a country that I, I'm very fond of and um, which I think is it's very intriguing and, and fascinating. Um, But to go back to your question, it really meant building um, contacts by face-to-face meetings and showing people that you're trustworthy. Mm -hmm. And um, I think one of the key factors here in in building that relationship is um, to show that you're reliable. And if you promise something, then you really keep your promise and, mm. and you help these people. And, and it works both ways because if they feed me information, they know that at some point they will also need information and that information comes from will come from me. Mm. Um, so we've, we've built this mutual agreement uh, where 
they help me and I help them. It's it's getting better now. I mean, um, certain institutions have started to publish information. Um, but in some areas, there is still um, a lack of information. Because I guess if you're covering the UK market or... Um, kind of more Western, more developed mm. uh, gas or, or electricity markets, there's not only loads of press releases that go out for the really important news, mm. but there's that we, we also have access to um, transparency data and data on uh, yes. flows, uh, uh, ab- gas absolutely. flows. Absolutely. Um, uh, I have that experience uh, because before com- before joining ISIS, I worked as a as a journalist for mainstream media, um, covering UK, mar- you know, Britain, and um, I remember writing emails with questions to press officers in the morning, mm-hmm. and getting answers almost within a few hours. Mm. Um, so it it was. I, I could say almost instantaneous um, mm-hmm. communication with these people, whereas in um, in in that part of the world that I cover nowadays, um, th- that ease of communication doesn't exist. And I remember many years ago when I was also writing about the Balkans or Romania, my, my own country. Um, I would send emails to press officers and I would get answers maybe a month later. Yes. Um, that, so in that case, it was really difficult to be able even to um, confirm something, even the slightest information. Yeah. So you mentioned that um, uh, you, you tried at first to phone people to build your contacts via the phone and then realised uh, that um, you had to actually visit Turkey mm. and go there but how do you even figure out who the best people to visit are and who your contacts should be sure um, I mean one of one of the biggest barriers for me was the fact that I don't speak Turkish and um, that of course was a, a, a problem um, luckily there were people over there who spoke English and um, who once they saw me, I suppose it, it's part of the Turkish culture to be quite hospitable. Mm-hmm. Um, and they uh, they they invited me over, and uh, we were happily chatting away. Um, so, you know, it was not not just the barrier of not being able to get something quickly, but also the language barrier. But mm. I, I did manage to overcome it because we found this mutual way. And I suppose I also have a pretty good understanding of that region because I come from that region and I understand how it works. It's, mm. it's, it's, it works along different coordinates from, from what we would have here, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so in, in the end, it, it, it worked out well, I should say. Yes. I wonder, I wonder if you can even say that you're a better journalist for having that... I can't experience. say I'm a better journalist. I, I I could say because you know if, if you're passionate about your job, you you'll do it anyway. But uh, what I did have was curiosity about that region, um, passion, as I say, um, and uh, also the fact that I 
didn't give up easily. Mm-hmm. And even if some people rejected talking to me in the first instance, I wouldn't give up and I would still insist. Mm. And um, by constantly being there and constantly keeping in touch, constantly sending out information uh, that we could share with them and that, which I knew was useful to the market, I, I suppose uh, people started to to trust me um, and and us as a as a publication as an institution. So once you started building up contacts, how um, how free were they with their information, or how how did they respond to <laughs> this journalist based in London I, who <laughs> was asking all these who questions? Was, who was asking? It, it depends. For, for example. Um, People in the private sector were very happy to talk to me and um, I think they understood the value of that and they understood the value of transparency because at the end of the day a functional market depends on transparency. Mm. Um, But there were also people maybe from state institutions who were looking at me a bit suspiciously and Mm. thinking well, what's she doing here? I mean, I, I even had some people who asked me whether I was a spy just because <laughs> I wanted to know the pressure of uh, of gas in the pipelines. <laughs> and uh, uh, of course, that that's a, that's a, that's a funny story. And um, I can assure everyone, I uh, I own, I'm only a journalist. Yeah, that's what a spy would say. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, but you know, I think. Um, I think people got used to that, and yeah. I got used to them, and um, and here we go, ten yes. years on. Yeah, yeah. And you're still covering Turkey, obviously. I am. To this yes. day. Even yes. yesterday, wrote a pretty good scoop hmm. uh, on an uh, an interconnection agreement about to be signed between mm-hmm. Turkey and Bulgaria. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously, it's working in your favour. These contacts. It is. It is. And and sometimes I find now that I don't actually have to pick up the phone and call people to ask them what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that people message me text text message me or <laughs> call me just to let me know yeah. um i i suppose w- one other thing that i wanted to mention here and the reason why i i managed to get scoops over the years is because um i just kept calling people all the time um it wasn't as though you know i had a story and then that was it i forgot about it uh, maybe a month six weeks on i would call the same people and ask have you got anything else Mm. um is there any development since we last spoke Mm. so that way you know they people saw that i was genuinely interested um and that i cared and Mm -hmm. and i think that matters a lot but people people like to see that others value their work yeah and uh, i certainly would yeah (laughs) and you're also by not forgetting about the stories, just not just writing it once and then forgetting about it, you're keeping on going and holding powers to account um, by following up and yes, I, I o- over the years, I um, I was pleasantly surprised to see that um, our stories did not fall on dead ground. Mm-hmm. Um, that in the end, um, authorities did something about whatever developments I was writing about that may not have been or that may have been rather impact uh, having a a negative impact on markets and that 
you know they they try to remedy that that situation so mm. i think that was <coughs> these are the moments that i'm mostly proud of when mm -hmm. i see that our stories um actually are followed up and um have some kind of impact and help other people yeah <coughs> and that's generally gratifying yes now, I wanted to ask you about, um, I guess, the, the really hard side or the tough side of covering Turkey, mm. uh, particularly a couple of years ago, um, when suddenly being a journalist covering Turkey got a whole lot harder. Mm. Um, uh, so can you describe a bit about what was happening then and what that meant for you? Yeah, sure. It's uh, Turkey is maybe not the easiest place in the world to be a journalist and uh, that that's a fact um it's um j journalists who work over there uh, have a tough time um and there is censorship let, let's put it this way um i tried um i tried to to be very objective in what i wrote and um of course I do care about the people that I write about and 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 you know at the end of the day even journalists are human beings and deep down they do take sides mm. um, but I tried not to let that be reflected in in what I write and I tried to be as objective as I could um, I was not worried in particular about myself. Um, so is it worth just putting a bit of context, like what was happening? Um, um, yes, yeah, sure. It it was um, immediately after the uh, the failed coup of um, July 2016, when um, some people were removed from their positions mm -hmm. and. Um, I actually lost many contacts mm -hmm. um, at that time. Um, it, it was it was a shock for me as well. I must say it was not something that I, well, I was expecting. I I I knew these people um, as professionals. I did not know what their backgrounds were, but as professionals, I knew them and I valued them. Um, and um, for me, it was it was a shock. I must say. Um, and unfortunately, it was it was a very bad. Time and mm. it it still is. Things have not improved um, a great deal, but um, I try to keep my position and um, in a way that is objective and that does not put at risk. First of all, um, my company, also ISIS, um, my contacts, and me as a journalist. Yes. So. You know, you, you have to keep that particular line. I mean, there, there will always be at some point someone who will try to suppress um, something that is not com that does not agree with uh, the powers that be. Mm -hmm. um, and I've seen that not just in Turkey. I've seen it in other countries that uh, I cover. But um, you, you just have to keep your position and you have to try to reflect all sides and um, you know but but not in a way that sounds like propaganda or mm. because that defeats all the purpose of good journalism yes yes 
And and more recently, you've moved into writing mm. about what's happening in the Ukrainian mm. gas market mm. at a really interesting time for Ukraine yeah. because they're moving from being just a transit country yeah. for Russia to get gas to Europe to yeah. becoming a hub yeah. all on, on uh, itself. So. U- Ukraine is another fascinating country, absolutely fascinating, and I'm, I'm very lucky to be writing about Ukraine. Um, with Ukraine, I see something quite unusual. So, for example, the the information blackouts in countries like Turkey or even Romania or in general in, in Eastern Europe was mainly on the state side. So that it was very diffi- it's very difficult to get any information from state institutions, be they uh, grid operators or uh, regulators or incumbents. Um, in Ukraine, uh, it's it's actually quite interesting that the state institution Naftogaz and Ukrotrans Gaz are actually quite willing to communicate. I mean, there is only so much they can say, but they are willing to communicate and they engage in a pretty good um, uh, information campaign. I think they they understand the value of being open and transparent. Mm. They also started to publish information regarding flows, regarding um, um, imports, production, storage levels. So, you know, again, this is very valuable. And we've, we've seen this happening since 2014 onwards. Um, but with Ukraine, what I find is that um, it's, it's actually quite... Um, how shall I put it, they're quite fragmented in a way because there are big powerful interests. <clears throat> and of course they they, they, all, they would all like to see their interests prevail. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and um, without, uh, without being so keen f- for concessions to the other side. So in this case, the market is quite polarized and as a journalist you have to strike a very fine balance and to tread a very fine line mm. um, because <coughs> precisely because of this polarization i see it in turkey as well but it's not as much as as um, it's in ukraine so mm. ukraine the, the ukrainian market is difficult from that point of view um, not so much from the point of view of lack of information because there is quite a lot of information and uh, it's it's not that difficult to cover from that point of view um, but it's difficult to cover b- because of these big powerful interests um, and this polarization mm-hmm. um, and you have to be very careful because otherwise I mean we're not here trying to um, you know move softly so that we don't upset anyone no we're we're journalists at the end of the day we write we try to write objectively um but on the other hand you need to know that you know you you still need to write about all these sites and you you want to have them on board to communicate with you yes um when how important has it been in in ukraine to not just be talking to the big guns mm-hmm. but also little i guess suppliers uh, or utilities very 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 important i mean you know sometimes you know the, the bigger scoops come from people you don't expect mm-hmm. um 
you know, I, I always wonder about journalists who try to build really good relationships with um, PR officers, with, with um, public relations officers. At the end of the day, they will not give you the scoop. I mean, it's very yeah. rare that they would because yes. th their interest is to protect yeah. the, the interest of the, country, the, the, the company they work for. Mm. So if you really want to get the story, you don't go to the PR officer. Yes. You go, yeah. you go to somebody else, yeah. you know, who may know, who may be in close contact, who may mm. have information or an axe to grind. But mm -hmm. again, you have to be very careful because people do give you scoops, but they may have an axe to grind. Yes. And I guess connected to all of that is the... Um, importance of protecting your sources when they do give you information. For me that is of utmost importance and yeah. in my last year I mean in, throughout my career as a journalist priority for me has been to protect my sources mm -hmm. and um, it doesn't matter what happens and if I if I can't protect the source then I will not write the story mm. and that's the end of it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, because the, the human being will always have to prevail. Um, the, you know, the safety and the interests of a human being. So I don't care about the story. If, mm -hmm. I, if, I, can't, <coughs> if I can't guarantee the protection or the safety of the person who talks to me, then I don't, I'm not going to write it. Mm. It's really interesting to see the differences in sourcing between different publications. Mm. So for example, at, at Bloomberg, I think in the Bloomberg way, it says if, if a source won't put their name next to their quotes, or we mm. won't run their quotes, they're, they're really strict about you've got to be willing to, mm. the, or sources have got to be willing to put their mouth where their money is, mm. or <laughs> what they're saying. Um, and uh, and uh, But then other organizations have, you know, on the other end of the scale, um, they'll see something printed in the media and then run a story based yeah. on what they've seen. So we, we kind of, I guess we speak to our sources, mm. well, particularly trading sources on the basis of anonymity um, so that they can be confident that we're not going, their positions aren't accidentally going to be released to the whole market mm. when they're talking to us. But Yeah, I think, uh, I think that the, the golden, the the, the I'm sorry, the, the middle way is the golden way, um, because you can't really cover difficult countries and markets mm. um, if, if you, you had if, if you insist on on everyone going on the record. You you can't do that. Mm. I mean, if I had worked for Bloomberg, probably based on that um, rule. Mm. I would have probably only churned out press releases um, mm. or interviews f uh, f from press conferences. Mm -hmm. um, on the other hand, just lifting a story from another publication and publishing, republishing it is, uh, is not professional at all. Um, so I think the way that we have chosen to go about is ideal. Um, Yes, I know we insist on three sources to confirm that information, and I think that's that's quite reasonable. Um, of course, the more people talk, 
and confirm the better. If we have an on-the-record um, statement, then it's perfect. Mm. Uh, but that doesn't mean that if we heard a story and we have managed to confirm it pretty well and to, to make sure that it's solid, uh, we, we don't run it. Um, I think... Yes, I think, as I say, that our, our, our way is the ideal way. <laughs> Obviously. Obviously, <laughs> yes. Okay, and just as a bit of a parting question, what would be your advice for a new journalist starting out who is maybe covering, well, I was going to say covering a difficult market, but I'm going to broaden that and say just who's covering a new news go, go out and talk to people. Um, it's so easy in this day and age just to sit, at, the, at your desk and pick up the phone or uh, WhatsApp or Facebook or Messenger or whatever and, and start communicating with people. I, I don't think that's real journalism. I, I mean, even I am sometimes guilty of that. Or not sometimes, but most of the times because I just can't get out that as much as I would like to. Mm. Um, but if I could, I, I would go out and talk to people. That's the best way. That that. You know, no matter how much this profession changes in terms of new technology, um, at the bottom and the core of it, good journalism will always rely on good sources, and mm. good sources you can only get by talking to them, meeting them, yeah. um, and building trust. Yes. And with that, we might finish there. Um, if you're listening in, please uh, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or Spotify, and then um, you get nice little notifications coming up on your phone when new podcasts are uh, released. And if you want to find out more about um, our coverage, and in particular, ours coverage on Turkey and Ukraine, um, then head to isis.com and you can find out more details there. Thanks for listening and we'll uh, speak again next time.